following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. How y'all doing today? Everybody all right? Ladies, y'all feel a little afterglow? You know, there used to be a song sung, There's Got to Be a Morning After. And y'all are living the morning after, and thank God you're back in church. You know what I love about this congregation is that you love being here. We've never had to worry about people not wanting to be in the house of God. You folks love being here, and it's just an honor to talk to people that you, you know without a shadow of a doubt that they're, they're loving where they are. They're enjoying it, and they're not waiting for lunch. Even though the pastor speaks two hours over, they're saying, go get them, pastor, go get them. That'll never happen here unless I have lost my mind, and if that happens, I'll never preach again here because I can't even think that far. Two hours away is a long time. I used to, uh, used to go to conferences when I was a young man, and I'd preach some of them, and, and they required you to preach 55 to 65 minutes. And uh, it was so easy back then because that's all we knew. That's all we knew. But I'm so glad that I found that 30-limit thing in my life. Because I, I, I'm one of those pastors that says, now, if you can't say it in 30 minutes, you need to hush. Need to hush. Stand to your feet. You're incredible people. I love being home. Patty and I went to North Carolina, went to South Carolina, and uh, preached a couple of weekends. One for our dear friend, Josh and Christina Goddard. They're launching a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and they had 142 people there. Last Sunday, launching their church. I just, think, I just think they're going to do phenomenal. I really, really do. I'm excited. Their spirits are, uh, are just unquenchable. They have got up in their life. They've got positivity in their soul, and they got Jesus in their heart. And so what a joy to be with them. And then the Sunday before, we were at, at, at a place in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, doing an anniversary service for one of the young men that allows me to speak into his world, and so I'm so happy to be home today. But I want, to, I, I want everybody to know you got some of the finest preaching the last two Sundays right here in this church from lead pastor Brad. Patty and I shook our head and said, wow. You know, it's, it's kind of like those two Indians that were sending smoke signals out there in New Mexico years ago, and... Uh, <clears throat> And, and they, were, they were testing the atomic bomb out there in the same area. And, uh, and so they were sending these smoke signals, and, and one of those bombs was detonated, and a big old, big old cloud of smoke rose up, and one Indian texted the other one with his smoke signal and said, I wish I'd have said that. <laughs> and you know what? I wish I'd have preached what Pastor Brad preached the last two weeks. Why don't you give him a great hand? And I also, I also want to give kudos to my family, my whole family. But Cassidy was leading this glow thing and all the people that were working. She was kind of the, uh, the person that kind of put it all together and, and dreamed it and then got some dreamers with her. But you got to have leadership. And I want to give honor to my daughter, Cassidy. And, And my daughter, Misty, who will do anything for you. She'll do anything to help you. And my daughter, Kate, that'll do anything to try to make you laugh. 
And what a joy to have three daughters that love the Lord. And I, I'm just bragging on my family today. I'm sorry. Bragging on my family. I want to read a scripture for you today. Micah chapter 5, 2 in the New Living Version. Bethlehem Ephrata. You're too little to be among the family groups of Judah. <laughs> we don't even count you. But from you, one will come who will rule for me in Israel. His coming was planned long ago from the beginning. I'm going to preach to you a little bit today. Everybody look at me and say, Pastor, Pastor. preach to me today. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach the word to me today. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach the word to me today. Let me leave here a different person than what I was when I came in. You may be seated. For centuries, the little township of Bethlehem labored and toiled under the shadow of the famous and renowned Jerusalem. Jerusalem was home to the palace. It was home to the throne and the reign of kings. Jerusalem could boast of tenants like Saul and David and, yes, Solomon. It, Jerusalem, could brag of famous buildings like the palace and the temple that routinely attracted visitors and royalty from around the world. Its seven mountains that surrounded it not only provided protection and beauty, but they each had been ascended by patriarchs and prophets of old, men who were close to the heart of God and who could point to its pinnacles and its precipices and declare, I met with God in a place called Jerusalem. So how about you, Bethlehem? What do you have that I don't have, Jerusalem would ask. To this day, Bethlehem can boast of only one main street and a community of about 3,000 people. Its most significant claim to fame at the time of Micah's prophecy was that it had been home to a man named Jesse, whose son, a ruddy-complexioned, lion-killing, bear-tearing, giant-defying shepherd boy. But God does not usually choose great places to do great things. And in fact, when Samuel got there to anoint the king, Jesse put seven boys up in front of him and forgot to put David in the lineup. You know, it's amazing. Rarely, if God ever selects great and renowned people to do his highest and his best work, but God uses people that are lowly. His purpose, his prerogative, his practice is to declare. Let us make man in our image. And then he goes to a dusty place, <laughs> a place that's been overlooked by some and ignored by others. And in that place of no account, just dirt, he begins to form and fashion and create with his own hands. And out of that obscurity, he makes what no one has ever seen before. He makes a man, creates a woman. He takes marred vessel that others have thrown away and he works with that vessel. And he talks to it something like this. Come on now, let me work with you. I've got to get some of this stuff out of you. Come on. I know it's going to hurt a little, but just wait till you see what I'm doing with you. And as the clay works with him and yields to him, responds to him, he will make it 
another vessel, beautifully and uniquely fashioned for the master's use. See, this great God of ours takes great delight in repairing bruised reeds and relighting smoking flaxes. So Jerusalem, you've got a great thing going there, but Bethlehem, just be patient. Don't be discouraged. You have a promise from a prophet named Micah. You have a word from the Lord, and if you have a word from the Lord, it will come to pass. Let me say that again. If you ever have a word from the Lord, it will come to pass. Though you may be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth that is to be ruler of all of Israel. Zechariah chapter 4 said, We need not to despise the day of small things. One author said it like this. Born in an obscure village, he was a child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30 years old. Then he traveled around the country, stopping long enough to talk and look and listen and help where he could. He never attended a university. He never wrote a book. He never had a hit recording project. He never ran for public office. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. But all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever set sail and all the rulers that have ever ruled and all the kings that have ever reigned on this earth all put together have not affected the life of man on earth like this one solitary life. You know how I love Jesus. Why don't we give him a hand clap right now? Not only was Jesus born in Nowheresville, Judea, but he was raised in No Goodsville, Galilee. Philip found Nathaniel one day sitting under a fig tree and he said, we have found him whom our soul longs for. And Nathaniel said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, come and see. Nathaniel's crack on Nazareth was not to say that it was a bad place or that it was an evil place or producing people of dubious reputation, but rather Nazareth was simply a place of no consequence. Nothing ever happened there. <laughs> no one important ever came out of there. Nazareth never, never made the headlines and was never nominated for community of the year. But what that obscure Bethlehem had given birth to was now growing and being nurtured on the small stage called Nazareth. Jesus was laboring in anonymity of a carpenter shop, but make no mistake, all of heaven was riveted on every move he made and every word he spoke. You see, my friends, the precious people here, Bethlehem was not too obscure in the mind of God to cradle the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Nazareth wasn't too inconsequential and a one of a dozen carpenter shop not too insignificant to nurture the Savior of the world. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life for a ransom. Jesus scooped up wood shavings 
before he ever stooped and wrote in the sand for a woman caught in the act of adultery. And he made fishing poles before he ever called fishers of men. And he hung cabinets before he ever hung on a cross. Because Jesus would give honor to the place of his birth and not derive honor from it. The locator destination of Jesus of Nazareth is used 17 times. He's never called Jesus of Jerusalem. He's always called Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, say it with me, put Nazareth on the map. He put Nazareth on the map. And you know what? He put Bethlehem on the map. During the few months of my life in Bible college, I began to come, become concerned about my future. I'd heard several rumors that some of the higher profile churches around the country were looking at me and considering me to be on their staff. However, I never got that call. When none of those rumors became reality, I decided... Well, I know what I need to do, and this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to evangelize, and I just struck out, single man, and just started preaching in an LTD. Dad wouldn't let me buy a Thunderbird. <laughs> and as my pastor said about me, and I quote when I asked him, can you help me get some places to preach so I can maybe get heard, for, heard about and somebody will have me and I can start my ministry. And he said, Rex, I can't call my friends to have you come and speak at their churches because their churches are too large and you're not good enough. And he said this, I love this. I, he said, your depth is too shallow. <laughs> that hurt a little bit. So in my first year, I preached in metropolises like Walnut Hill, Louisiana, Shady Grove, Louisiana, Gretna, Louisiana, Camp 8, Louisiana, Anacoca, Louisiana, Garrison, Texas, and some storefronts around there. I heard a man say a while back, you've got to find your voice before you find your subject. I read about an animal trainer that saw a dog for sale and the sign said, this is the world's dumbest dog. And the man bought the dog because he felt sorry for the dog being called the dumbest dog in the world. And he changed that sign and he put a sign around that that little dog's neck, and it said this, the world's smartest dog bought from the world's dumbest owners. <laughs> the dog found his voice, and then he found his subject. The question I want to ask you today, how big does the stage have to be before you're willing to step out onto it? Nobody ever heard of French Lick, Indiana. Well, I'm fixing to preach now. Much less Spring Valley High School before a blonde-headed, six-foot-nine-inch sharp shooting forward took his high school team to the state championship and then took Indiana State, yeah, that team, to the Final Four in the NCAA championship game against Magic Johnson and the Michigan State Spartans. His name was Larry Bird, three-time NBA champion with the Boston Celtic Hall of Fame, but he, he didn't start out playing basketball in the Boston Garden. He grew up on a farm shooting 500 free throws a day on a weather-beaten, slightly tilted backboard and rim in Cowtown, USA. But you got to find your voice before you find your subject. You know, he was, he, was, he was asked to come to Indiana University. I thought I'd tell you this. It's just little news that some people don't know. By Bobby Knight, 
But there was a player, an upperclassman named Ken Benson, Kent Benson, who hated Larry Bird and tried to hurt him. Every time he came into the lane, he tried to hurt him. He was his own teammate. And Larry said, I finally got enough of Kent Benson's hate. And I said, Coach, I'm going to Indiana State. And there he became legendary. And here's what I want to tell you. Every time he played Kent Benson in the pros, Kent Benson couldn't handle him. And Larry kept saying, forget me. Do you forget me? Do you know who I am? I played with you one day. I love that. You know what I want to tell Hale? I want to tell Hale, have you forgotten who I am? Have you remembered what God has done for me? I changed teams a long time ago. Come on, somebody. I walked out of your world and walked into God's world. I had a voice and God gave me a subject and here I am preaching today because I'm preaching this subject. There's no stage too small for greatness. There's no situation too large for you to over, not overcome and be great in the kingdom of God. God's got a plan for your life. God's got a plan for your life. And on this last Sunday of September, I want to declare that you don't worry about where you came from. You worry about where you're headed. You worry about where you're going. Even psychologists today, even psychologists, do not go back to your past and try to fix you. They project you to the future and look back. I'm telling you, you need to project yourself to the future and look back and say on this Sunday morning at Christian Life Austin, I found my subject. I've had a voice a long time, but I'm gonna do something for God that's gonna defy description. It doesn't matter where I came from. It matters where I'm going. Now, if this is halftime, get out there and beat that team in the second half. Let's go have church in our life from here. Hallelujah. A Major League Baseball scout was asked by a young high school student who was aspiring to play in the major leagues. He said, what if I don't get a scholarship to a big college? How will anybody find me? The scout said this, if you can play, they'll find you. Listen, if you can worship over your situations, God will find you. If you can walk through the storm and come out on the other side smiling, God will find you. If you can go through difficulties in your life and say, I'm coming out of this and you come out of it, God will find you. Because once you establish your voice, God's going to give you a subject. He's going to bless you with things you can't imagine. Come on, clap your hands. This is, this is for you. This is for you today. Jesus said this. He said, go to your closet of prayer and shut the door. And your heavenly Father who sees you in secret, your heavenly Father who sees you labored in anonymity, your heavenly Father, your audience of one, when he sees your willingness, faithfulness to do your best, no matter how many are in the audience, he will reward you openly. Amen. Openly. Hey, what's happened to Sister Susie? What's happened to Sister Nancy? What's happened to, to Brother Bob? What's happened to these people? Well, they got in the closet one day. They found their voice and God said, walk out of here. I'm going to give you a subject. I'm going to make you something special. You know, I read a story about a guy named Edward Kimball. Neat guy. He was a Sunday school teacher. Sunday school teacher in a church. And he taught the young boys. Now, to do that is like herding cats. You know that. Teaching young men. And uh, they, they, they'd laugh and they'd cut up. And they probably made fun of his teaching. But Kimball was determined to make all those boys come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And one of them especially was kind of having a hard time accepting the gospel of Edward Kimball. And so one day, Mr. Kimball went to the store where this young man worked. He sold shoes, this young man did. He sold shoes, and, and when he got there, he said, can I talk to you back here in the storeroom? He took the young back, man back in the storeroom, and one-on-one, -on -one, he started talking to him about his future. He said, boy, you're not, you're not made, and, and I'm not making fun of this, said, you're not made to, to sell shoes. You've got something bigger in your life, and I want God to do something big in your life. I want you to see that God's got great things for you in your life. And he prayed for him and led him to the Lord, and the boy accepted the Lord in the shoe store. And by the way, his name was Dwight L. Moody. Yeah, that Moody, who became great in ministry on two continents and preached the gospel to thousands and thousands of people. You see, sometimes when you think all you're going to do in life is sell shoes, and there's nothing wrong with that. God walks into your world and said, can I meet you back here in the back room? Let's talk a little bit about your voice because I'm going to give you a subject. I'm going to give you something so great in your life you'll never imagine how great I can use you in the kingdom of God. Hey, Sunday school teacher, of course they're not hearing me, they're over yonder, but if you're a Sunday school teacher, you don't know what you're teaching. You don't know who's in that class. Do the best you can with what you have and God will take the rest and make things out of people, make subjects out of people that are absolutely phenomenal. Mm. If you want to play on the stage with a full house, you're going to have to first of all play on the stage with an audience of one. Like the young Bible college preacher was asked to fill a pulpit in a country church and one farmer showed up and he said, well, sir, I'm going to give you all I got. And he preached the house down. Always do your best. Amen. When the wise men showed up at the humble house where the young Jesus was, not a palace, not a crowd of royalty around the Christ child, just a carpenter dad and a teenage mom. They brought with them gifts of royalty fit for a king. But did these wise men put their best gifts away when they observed their surroundings? Did they hide their gold, their frankincense and myrrh and save it for a more important occasion? No, no, no. And I want to tell you, it's on the screen, don't ever allow the presentation of your gift to be determined by the estimation of your audience. I have preached before in churches and people have walked up to me and said, you know what? That's the worst sermon I ever heard in my life. I said, no, I've heard it before and it was bad then too. Don't, don't ever, don't ever let the presentation of your gift, don't ever let that happen be determined by the estimation of your audience. You give what God has given you to give. Do your very best. I don't care what kind of background, oh, I feel like preaching today. What kind of background you've come out of, what kind of hole God had to dig you out of to save you. I'm telling you, he didn't bring you here to leave you. He brought you here to take you through everything in your life because God has got a subject for you in your life. John the Baptist was never hired. No one asked him to come and preach for a weekend. He received no invitation to preach a revival, but he had a fire burning in his stomach and his belly, and he, was, he started preaching, not on a busy street corner, but in the desert. He started out his ministry as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And for days, he preached by the Jordan River. And as travelers came by, they listened and then went to town and told somebody about this camel-suited, 
locust-eating prophet that added honey with the locusts in the wilderness who had a message from God. And it wasn't long until he emptied out every synagogue and the temple miles around because he was a man sent from God. I hear people say, I can't get a break, Pastor. I can't get a promotion because I'm not the right person in the office. I'm not the right person in the family. I'm not, I never was looked on good by my family and now it's working in my office. I want to change that whole complexion in your life today. You don't have to live with that. You really, really don't. You can walk in and say, you know what? I have found my voice and God's going to give me a subject and I'm going to do things that I never dreamed possible. You can turn around in one Sunday morning right now you can make a turnaround in your life and say, though I may have been born poor, though I may have been born in a drug den, though I may have been born to an alcoholic home, I believe with everything that's in me, God's got something so special for me. <laughs> Jesus never went around making excuses. Well, you see, my mom was 15 when she got married and she was expecting me before she got married. And the man she married wasn't even a rabbi, just some old country carpenter. And my mom wouldn't take me to town to introduce me to anybody because she tended to avoid crowds. I don't know why. And I was born in town in a town that wasn't famous for anyone or anything. And then we couldn't even go back to our old neighborhood for several years. And then when we finally got back home to Nazareth, it was apparent that nothing good ever came out of there. Why don't you decide... That instead of wanting to take honor that sometime you don't even deserve from somewhere, why don't you give honor to some place that nobody ever heard of? Why don't you start saying, you heard my story? I got a story. I got a big time story. Instead of letting it be a defeat to you, why don't you turn it into a triumph in your life? Come on now. There's so many people have what I call destination diseases and I'm not far from finishing. If I could just wiggle my way onto that church staff, if I could just go to that church, if I could just move to that city. I know a young man that was a member of a large spirit-filled church in Louisiana, then Gainesville, then, then, then Stockton, California. And he operated his life on the premise that before I could be somebody, I have to be somewhere where there is already a somebody. Let me tell you something. You can go outside this door right here today and say, Lord... Put it on me today. You can stand right here in this audience today when I start to pray for you after a while and say, Lord, I have found my voice. I know what you want me to do. I know what you have me to do. I know that job is for me. I know that thing that I've been praying about is for me. I'm not going to doubt it anymore. You're going to give me the subject that I've wanted. Even though I've come from a long way off, I'm going to be saved in the kingdom of God and I'm going to walk in what you have for me. Clap your hands. Right in the corner. If you can play, heaven will find you. Bloom where you're planted. Let me give you one more good illustration here. There's a man in the Bible named Heman. He was a musician and a singer with the heart to please God with his talent. And Heman had a profound respect and reverence for the presence of God. And he was there and ministered with his talent the day that David danced mightily before the Lord as the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Jerusalem. He was personally chosen on more than one occasion to sing Israel's most powerful song, Give Thanks to the Lord for His Mercy Endures Forever. It was said in 1 Chronicles 25 that Heman prophesied with harps and psalteries and cymbals. 
He was called the king's seer in the words of God. But he didn't start out in ministry on the stage of Solomon's temple. One of his first times Heman had been mentioned in scripture, he is playing the cymbals, folks, the cymbals. You know the cymbal player, don't you? He's at the back of the orchestra on the back row and he does this, bang, about every 30 seconds. And sometimes he has a rest period for about five minutes. He can take a nap, then he gets up and bang again. So the singers, the Bible said, Heman, Asaph, Ethan, were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. He played the cymbals first, and then he got a promotion. The Bible said in 1 Chronicles 16, and with them, Heman and Jaduthan, with trumpets, they started blowing the trumpets. Somebody else played the cymbals. And then a little bit later, 1 Chronicles 25, all these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord with cymbals and psalteries and harps for the service of the house of God according to the king's order to Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman. He went from a cymbal player, hallelujah, to an orchestra member, to a leader of the whole thing. In fact, in fact, history bears out that it was probably he that led the 288-voice choir in Solomon's temple when they dedicated it. It was Heman out there. Didn't he used to play the cymbals? Yeah, I don't play them anymore. Hallelujah. Come on, let's sing, kids. Let's sing. It's time. It's time that if you're living here, you need to turn around and start walking forward and saying, you know what? God's got me with a voice. I'm going to move out of the cymbal section. I'm going to start playing the horn. And before you know it, I'm going to start playing the psaltery. And before you know it, I'm going to be directing the whole company. I used to play golf. I, I, I got to hurry. I got to quit. I used to play golf with a guy from Houston, Texas, and he owned a business that was making huge amounts of money. In fact, he was so rich, he always bought my golf. And I love playing with him. He's a good guy. And he bought me ham hamburgers and sandwiches. And I'd always try to pay and he wouldn't let me. So I asked him one day, how did this happen? What did you do? He said, well, Pastor Rex, he said, when I joined the company, he said, I was 18 years old. And I asked him, can I just sweep the floors and clean the bathrooms for you? And he said, I started sweeping the floors and cleaning the bathrooms and doing all of that. And he said, they noticed that I had a heart to work. He found his voice. He had a heart to work. And he said, the, the boss came to me one day, said, son, we'd like, to, we'd like to elevate you from the cleaner of this thing to being the superintendent over the cleaners. So they made me superintendent, he said, of all the cleaners. And he said, then one day they walked in and said, son, we see potential in you. You can go to college. We'll pay your way through college. Or son, we can just promote you right now. But you've got leadership in you. He found his voice. He was sweeping floors, but he found his voice. Am I preaching to somebody here today? And the, and the man said, would you like to, would you like to start, uh, start paying you with some, some uh, what do they call them, uh, stocks? We'd like to, us, us to pay you with stocks. It's not in my notes. It's just hit me in the pulpit. He said, we could pay you in stocks. And he said, well, that'd be fine. And he said, pastor, every year that I worked, said I worked about four or five more years, and said every year that I worked, he said, they gave me more stocks. They gave me a bigger deal. And he said, one day the man came in and said, son, you're 30 years old. Would you like to own this company? He said, yes, sir, I've been dreaming about that. He said, okay, it's for sale. I'm going to sell it to you. I'm going to let you pay it out as the way you want to pay it out because I trust you. And he said, sir, I'm 34 years old now. I'm having the time of my life. He said, the boy that used to sweep the floor now owns the company. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. 
I'm, try, I'm not just telling you, I'm not trying to be Zig Ziglar here today, but I'm trying to tell you, when you find your voice, God will give you a subject. Don't ever despise the day of small things. Several of the last quarterbacks to play in the Super Bowls were not even drafted. They were passed over seven times by 32 teams in the National Football League. That's been overlooked 224 times. Champions are not made in the ring. That's simply where they're celebrated. A man named Joe Frazier once said, you got to do your road work. He said, if you cheat in the darkness of the morning, you're now getting found out under the brightness of the lights. You've got to pay your dues. It don't just fall on you. You've got to ask him. You've got to praise him. You've got to love him. I wrote this sermon up several years ago and I, I gave it to some of my young pastors. I just gave it to them. Because I wanted them to know most of them came out of obscurity and they're doing wonderful today. But this ain't a pastor's sermon. This is about people. You've got to find your voice. There's a person in this church right now that one day came to me and said, Pastor, I need you to tell me what I need to do. And I told her what she needed to do and she's, she's making tremendous money. She may not be here in the second service and I'll tell, I'll tell you her name. But what a joy. When you find your voice, God will give you a subject. Randy, if you'll help me. I got to close. So I told you about Edward Kimball, you know. I told you about Dwight L. Moody. And it was so cool when he won that boy that worked at a shoe shop and he became a world famous evangelist. But the story doesn't end there. Actually, there's where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God named Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. And one day, a professional baseball player came to hear him preach. And he got converted. His name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was converted to Jesus under Chapman's ministry. And Sunday quit baseball and became a part of Chapman's team. And then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church. And Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above, watch this now, renting a hearse and parading it through the streets saying, you don't need to die, you need to be born again <laughs> with a megahorn. And when Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school vowed that he wouldn't go hear him preach. People called him Billy Frank. But he eventually did go. And Ham announced that he knew for a fact that the house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school and that male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. And Billy Frank heard that sermon and the boy said, let's go, let's go, let's go interrupt his meeting and make fun of him. And Billy, Billy Frank decided to go to see what would happen and that night he went and was intrigued with what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation was converted and Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Franklin Graham. Because a man named Edward Kimball got his voice one day and God said, I'm going to give you a subject. And his subject was Dwight L. Moody. 
And Moody won another man, and that man won a man, and that man won a man. And Billy Graham preached to more people in his life than the Apostle Paul preached to. Hey, do you think God can't make big out a little? You think God can't make big out a little? <clears throat> Come on, God is into making big things out of little things. <laughs> There's people in this church that I totally admire. Because you could have quit a long time ago because you had everything in the world thrown against you except the kitchen sink. You didn't have a prayer. You didn't know what to do next. And God said, just give me your voice and I'll give you a subject. And God has brought you and given you greatness and give you authenticity and given you a call and given you a hope and help. And you know what? I don't know what God's going to do with all that you've been blessed with. But I think it'd be good if we just kind of pass it on and put it in somebody else, huh? And say, if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. That's the God we serve today. Would you stand all over the house and don't nobody leave? I got some money to give away, I think. I want you to join hands with somebody there beside you. I want us to pray this prayer together today. I want us to pray this prayer together today. I've enjoyed preaching to you today, folks. I want us to say, dear Jesus, let me find my voice. And I know that you'll help me. And you'll give me the subject of my life that I need in my life to go forward. Now bless us. Bless my neighbor. Bless my family. If we're married, bless my wife. If you're married, bless my husband. Come on now. In Jesus' name, let us move forward with what you have for us in our life, even today, even today. Now look up here at me. Can I tell you? I'm going to speak some words to you. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I'm living that kind of life right now. I'm not finished. The best is yet to come in my life. It's yet to come. It really is. Come on, let's give the Lord a thunderous applause. Let's give him a thunderous applause right now. The best is yet to come.